welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 30th of April 2018 and this is episode number 61. In this edition I talk to Dr Andrew Humphreys, Senior Lecturer at Canterbury Christ Church University on D.H. Lawrence and the Great War. Andrew has recently written a book on D.H. Lawrence titled D.H. Lawrence, Transport and Cultural Transition, A Great Sense of Journeying. This is published by Palgrave Macmillan. I spoke to Andrew after spending a brief excursion with him to Verdun and the Bottlefields. Andrew, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Now, we've just returned from uh, four days on the Western Front via Verdun, and we're sitting in your parents' house in Kent, and I wonder whether you could start by telling us how you became interested in D.H. Lawrence and the Great War. Well, I first became interested in D.H. Lawrence um, as a teenager. Uh, Firstly, actually, watching... um, some very good BBC adaptations, um, one by Trevor Griffiths of the, uh, directing the Sons and Lovers um, novel, uh, 1912 novel, but also another one on the Rainbow, which, which came a little bit later in the 1980s. Ever since then, I think, my, and also I, my grandfather was uh, fought in the trenches in the, in the Somme and I think also in Ypres as well, um, and survived uh, as a teenage uh, recruit, underage in fact. And although he didn't speak much about it, there was an aura about him when I was when I was young that, that you know uh, got me interested. And he bought me a couple of books, um, and so I've always read about it. But then, in recent years, as you know, because that's where we've just come back from, um, I've been on many visits to uh, the battlefields across um, the First World War battlefields, anyway, across France and uh, Belgium, and also taken uh, student groups. Uh, as part of my role at Canterbury Christchurch University um, to, to visit those uh, because it's a major part of the curriculum for, for secondary English. Who was D.H. Lawrence and what does a D.H. stand for? Well, D.H. Uh, stands for David Herbert Lawrence. D.H. Lawrence was a, a son of a miner and a middle-class mother, so it's quite an interesting marriage from the start and she left the Kent I think to move up to Nottinghamshire and married this minor and um, had uh, three or four children and Lawrence was the third child quite a sickly child in fact but um, his father he didn't see much of he was in the mines and uh, and he sort of uh, grew up in this mining community and really in a sense although he was very influenced by that start he wanted to get away from that and travel so he became famous really as a writer when he left Nottingham and moved to London as a teacher initially having trained as a teacher too and then thought I, I want to be a writer instead and, and moved from teaching to writing and with his first success that's with Sons and Lovers in 1912 and that was about his, his growing up in a mining community. He, he went on to travel uh, away from England. Uh, he had an affair with a, a German countess who was already married and, um, and he ran away with her basically and lived in Italy um, and continued to write, uh, came back to England, suffered during the war very much, um, was persecuted for marrying a German uh, woman, was very impoverished, uh, couldn't get anybody to buy his, his, uh, his novels had one of them banned during the war in 1915, mainly for obscenity. And Lawrence was always dogged by this, this um, uh, up to Lady Chatterley's Lover, which is his later novel, for, for being an obscene writer at a time where this was not acceptable. But he, he got through the war, but was very affected by it, and then travelled further afield all around the world, to Mexico, to Australia, to the Far East, and America, where he spent a lot of time in, in New Mexico, uh, area of America where he lived for a, for a while and finally returned to a place that he was particularly fond of in, in Italy but was always suffering from tuberculosis and 
denying the fact that he had this until in the end it finally uh, killed him in 1930. How old was he when the war broke out? Well, he was born in 1885, so he would have been about 29 when the war broke out. And yes, and yes, and the, and, and the truth to say is that Lawrence was very personally affected by the war, not only in terms of the way it affected his view of the world and, and traumatised him, but it also affected him in terms of the impact it had upon his writing because of the way society reacted to what was in a very much a more modern view of life than, than was allowed at the time during the war, which was quite repressive. So D.H. Lawrence wasn't like the war poets, did not, did not serve in the military. So what did he do in the Great War? Well, th- it's correct, he did not um, fight at all. He was called up for uh, conscription medicals three times. Each time he was rejected, but each time a little bit more closer to being accepted. Because of his, his already tuberculous state, he was, he was not physically fit enough to be a soldier. And, and that was clear to him, but he still had to go through what was a very humiliating military examination, which he, he said afterwards affected his sense of his own masculinity and, and had a big impact on a lot of the themes of his novels. Having said that, he didn't fight in the war, but he did communicate in his works and in his letters and all his writing, really, a profound sense of disturbance by the war that never really left him and, and it's probably true to say that Lawrence's work pretty much in its entirety however far afield he went from Europe in terms of America and Mexico never really got away from from the war and, and its impact upon European civilization, which he saw as, as tragic and, and, and utterly devastating in fact. So talking in more specifics what impact did the war have on his his writing and poetry during during and after the conflict well during the conflict um it had a very negative effect to the extent that he was rejected first of all by having his works one of his novels banned and the other one uh, forbidden by by uh, publishers would not touch it in other words women in love was i mean the rainbow was the novel in 1915 which was banned um and women in love which was a sequel to the rainbow was he couldn't get published until after the war in 1920 the the women in love and and i I've argued this and, and others have um, before me. Women in Love is particularly infused with, with the war, although it's not about the war, but uh, many critics and Lawrence himself acknowledged that the war coming through that novel and the relationships within it. So in a sense it was a war novel and his way of getting across his feelings about society uh, and the impact upon it um, uh, as a result of that war. In the 1920s he was becoming more well known um, because he, as a writer generally, uh, and he was very much a critic of society and of America in particular, and was very interested in the America but wrote about it critically but still never really made a great deal of money out of his writing and actually probably it's true to say died before his fame was fully acknowledged perhaps by the critics. So what sort of themes does the rainbow touch on in terms of his 1915 novel? Um, The rainbow follows three generations uh, of women in fact so you could argue although some have not, but I would say it's a very much a, an early feminist novel in the sense that it, it's one of those novels that focuses not just on one woman's life, but on, on successive women across generations and their relationships with men. And, and it leads to the key part of the novel, which is the relationship of Ursula Brangwen, uh, who's the granddaughter of the first woman in, in, who appears in the novel. And it's also about the, the, the way England changes from an from a agricultural through an industrial to a modern society. And uh, my particular focus on, on the rainbow in, in, in my book on D.H. Lawrence um, is, is about how, how that's represented through transport and uh, technology and how that becomes more apparent in the novel as, as those generations go through and how it also it enables female mobility uh, as each generation follows. Now, 
the one book that D.H. Lawrence is known for, ah. and I'm I'm sure you as a, as a D.H. scholar would groan, is obviously Lady Chatterley's Lover with its apparently saucy elements to it. But again, that has key themes about the war. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say straight away that that um, yeah, I acknowledge that the the you know there there is a sort of stereotypical response to Lady Chatterley, and the reason why Lawrence is famous is because of the sex within that novel. But actually, you're quite right. I mean, I I feel and have argued that that it is more of a war novel in a sense than than a sex novel. Um, although it's very hard to separate the two when Lawrence was reacting against the negation of the war and the negation of human impulse, actually, almost mechanising of human impulse through the war, which is represented very much in Clifford, um, uh, who returns from the war injured and, and damaged. And that um, is, for my ignorance, Lady Chatterley's husband. Husband, yes, who she, who she married um, as a young woman before he went off and was, was crippled in the war. Um, came back and was unable to to have a sexual relationship with her, but was uh, but almost sort of uh, replaced that with a sort of a mechanisation of himself, if you like, as a way of going forward. But the the whole sexual impulse that is explored through Lady Chatterley and the gamekeeper, who's also been in the war, um, uh, Oliver Mellors, is Lawrence's way of finding some way of affirming life against the tragedy of what the Great War had had created. Do you think the fact Mellors was an ex-officer? was important in the novel. Yeah, something also that's quite often completely overlooked in a novel which which looks at the, the, the class impact of, of a gamekeeper having having a bit of sex with with a um, you know illicitly with a with a uh, an aristocrat. And that seemed to attract people most of all in its initial reading. And also when it, in nineteen sixty the novel came out as a uh, was was backed by the courts as, as able to be published officially and people started to buy it. They they could keep easily overlook the fact that Mellors was like Clifford Chatterley the, the husband and he uh, he commits adultery against a, a fellow soldier, and actually some some people I think in terms of masculinity studies um, have started to look at that that aspect of the novel that it isn't just about the the liberation of a woman who's in, in a society where women are oppressed, uh, whatever their class. It is also about a comradeship and a, a kinship between men from different backgrounds who who fought for the same cause. Interestingly, Mellis was quotes a temporary gentleman and obviously yeah. in many ways equal to is it Clifford opposite number so to speak and. Does the social class of, or the, the social class to which um, Mellors ascribed to as an officer, is that important? Why, for instance, why wasn't Mellors just an ordinary NCO or a ranker? Well, that's very important. And I think, uh, and again, this is something obviously some people have researched more than I have, but I think there is an interesting fact about Lawrence that he started off making, because there were three versions of Lady Chatterley. And as he got through to the third version, Mellors became more officer class and less working class, if you like. And I think some would argue that, that Lawrence despite being a working class uh, mining you know, son, was always aspiring to be, having married an aristocratic German, for instance, always aspiring to be something more than that. And perhaps secretly identifying with Mellors, like to see him getting above his station and staying there. So, but that's something for somebody else to argue in more detail than I would do now. But Now, Andrew, yes. our final question. What do you think Lawrence's books have contributed to our understanding of the Great War? I think they've contributed a great deal. I say that in terms of those who have studied Lawrence in particular, um, would, and they would acknowledge that. Perhaps in the wider reading public and academic public, that's something still to be pushed further. Again, it's something I obviously, in, in my own research, have already uh, emphasised um, as, a, as a priority. And I think, again, you know, I, I, I've seen all of the books that I've, I've researched in, in the in my own book, as as central to the war, um, and and inescapably part of that that uh, sort of psyche. But um, but it's still something. T- uh, I, I think people tend not to see Lawrence as as necessarily linked to the war because, as you said earlier, he he wasn't a war poet. He wasn't a combatant. And 
We, but we have moved on from that sense in, in, our, in First World War studies and also in lit literary studies of, of writers. We've moved away from that sense it's only about the combatants, it's about the home front, it's about women's uh, response to the war and women's involvement in the war, both in historical studies and in, in, um, in literary studies. And I feel that Lawrence has a place in that, that development, which is going to grow, I hope anyway, will grow in, in future research. Well, in terms of our understanding, I think... Um, we, we've talked about the main novels, for instance, and, and I mean, Lady Chatterley, um, people might look again at Lady Chatterley and look at it in terms of a coming, moving away from the, no, the, from the war type novel. Yeah. Uh, and where does, where does human, how, does hum, how do humans move on from the carnage, uh, the industrialised carnage that, that, that has happened? What part do women play in that? Uh, particularly, and that's why Connie Chatley is so central. What was um, Lawrence's reaction to German um, war actions? Well, it's interesting. I mean, as far as I remember, Lawrence didn't say much about the the early uh, atrocities that were so prevalent in the press about the you know the invading uh, little Belgium and things like that, and he was very anti the John Bull um, interpretation of Germans and of of German um, militarism. Uh, which was prevalent in, 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 in to stir up feeling in England, but he was very affected by the sinking of the Lusitania. As far as his letters show, he saw that atrocity as as if it would stir up his own desire to attack Germans and, and take revenge. He didn't. It wasn't a, a lingering feeling, and he and he, he he sort of moved on from that. But at the time, in May 1915, when the sinking was announced, and 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 then there was violence in the streets against Germans and, and smashing of shop windows and, and attacks. And he almost joined the crowd in a sense, um, very briefly, and said, "I can see how I would want to do the same." But I would say, and I maybe I'm biased in this respect, but I would say to to Lawrence's credit, that was not a lasting view. It was an acknowledgement of the blood being up, if you like. Uh, and that was something that in his writing he always does acknowledge, that human beings are, are fallible, and he and he would acknowledge that he was himself, and that, that you know his instinct was to, to be angry about things which were inhuman. Point. Where can people find out more about your research? Well, my research, um, uh, uh, well, I, as I say, mentioned earlier, I... I I brought out a book uh, last summer in 2017, um, which is entitled D.H. Uh, Lawrence, uh, Transport and Cultural Transition, A Great Sense of Journeying. And in that book, I'm, I'm really looking at transport and Lawrence's interest in that and technological mobility, which is a theme that I'm particularly interested in and have uh, sort of published things on uh, as well, uh, in other areas before. And in that novel, I look at you know five, five novels in particular: um, Sons and Lovers, uh, The Rainbow, Women in Love, um, The Plume Serpent, and Lady Chatterley. In all of which, I, I deal with transport and the relationship of the characters and the narrative to uh, representations of transport. Mm -hmm. But but within that, um, I see transport as part of a technological canonization of, of of the world, which springs from the First World War. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.